What's going on, everybody? Welcome into another edition of the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. You know who I am. I am your host, as always, Blaine Spencer. I have a returning guest with me, Rich Behan, and he is now the man behind the scenes of the legend that is the St. Peter's Peacock. He was on that tournament run that led the St. Peter's Peacocks into the Elite Eight. He was with the team throughout. Rich, thank you for joining me. We're going to be talking a lot of Peacocks today, as well as some breaking news that actually transpired for your Peacocks in the last couple hours. How are you? Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. This has been a long time coming. I know you've been trying to set this up for a a few weeks, and then we just kept winning. Uh, So then, you know, we go from down uh, down in Atlantic City from the MAC tournament. We go right to Indianapolis. Then we get through Indy. We come back. I think we spent... Uh, a day and a half in New Jersey. And then we were already on the road to Philly again. Uh, and then, you know, uh, unfortunately our journey ended on Sunday in Philly, but uh, you know, it was, uh, I'm sure we'll get into it more, but just an unbelievable experience that really, uh, no, you couldn't see coming. Yeah. And that's actually where I really want to start. Can you just describe what this behind the scenes, what this run was actually transpiring with, Coach Holloway has now come to our alma mater, Seton Hall. But what was that? Just describe the experience for us in that last three to four weeks of just absolute insanity. That's how I can only describe it with uh, what happened with you guys. Yeah, I mean, I'll t- I guess I'll take you all the way back to uh, Atlantic City for the MAC tournament. You know, we had gotten down there. Um, I think I got down there Monday or whatever. Uh, and, you know, I, I stayed the whole week because – you know, obviously I was there for St. Peter's, but I was also doing some work for the Mac as well. So uh, I was, I was actually the timeout coordinator for the Iona game uh, against Ryder. And, you know, we were sitting there and I mean, that was a tremendous game Ryder, obviously able to pull it out and knock Iona out in the first round. And it was kind of like, you know, I'm sitting there kind of taking it in as just a fan of basketball in general. And I was like, Hey, you know, this is a really good game. But then I kind of took a step back and I was like, you know what, this is kind of the, the road just cleared the biggest roadblock just cleared for the Peacocks to make the tournament. And then, you know, you fast forward to Sunday and the St. Peter's took care of business and you're like, okay, now we're going to Indianapolis. Uh, So, uh, you know, we got back to campus a few, a few days went by. And uh, at first we weren't even going. Um, It was only going to be um, the, the men's basketball contact, Doug Waters, my boss. Um, And it was originally just going to be him. Uh, And then, you know, I think, uh, what do we play on Friday, Friday, Sunday that yeah, we were Friday, Sunday uh, or two, Thursday, Saturday, whatever it was. I forget. <laughs> um, it was the day it was the day before the Kentucky game. And all of a sudden they were like, no, you guys can go find like go down, uh, go across. I guess that one. Um, <laughs> no, I remember that because I was texting you about it when you guys got in. I was like, yeah. please tell me you're going. You're like, I have no idea. Yeah. Like- yeah, every, everything was so up in the air. And originally we were told no. And then last minute we were sent down there. And <laughs> thankfully we were because uh, we ended up in the Elite Eight. But, you know, we get down there and, you know, it, it was the day of the game. We get our content out and, and everything. And, you know, I'm sitting uh, the second row of the scorer's table with my boss. We were there. Uh, the other GA, Steve, was was doing video. He did it for the whole tournament, did a fantastic job. And, you know, we win the Kentucky game. And, you know, I haven't been shy about this. Uh, we won. And honestly, we, we didn't know what to do. We had no we had no clue. Like, there's nothing. People always say, oh, you know, sometimes it's good to be thrown into the fire. Well, this was one of those situations because we had we had nothing pre-planned. 
everything, you know, was just come, everything that was coming was just from us. Um, it was just a, like a spur of the moment type thing. And, you know, we win the Kentucky game and then we get to the second round against Murray state. That's really when we started to, you know, put things together and be like, Hey, you know, there's a chance for the Peacocks to keep this thing going. So that's when we started, you know, have, having the pre-planned things. That's when, uh, I don't know if you saw it, the, the, the big bird meme, yeah. I did that. Um, and then for the Purdue game too, the, the SpongeBob meme with uh, the, my leg guy getting thrown out of the crusty crab. I did that too, <laughs> but you know, we finally started, like I didn't have anything ready for the Kentucky game because, you know, we were so behind getting there the day of and, and things like that. And then we were kind of just thrown into it. And then when we saw that road kind of open, we were like, okay, um, let's try and see if we can take advantage of it. Similar to the way, you know, you go back to when UMBC knocked off Virginia and they made their run, you know, you go back and look at their social media accounts. Uh, they had more fun than anybody. I think they, they had more fun than us. Uh, I mean, we, we tried to do our best, you know, keep doing memes and retweeting and liking everybody. Cause you know, we have the whole nation behind us. Um, and you know, UMBC was kind of a groundwork for that because, you know, there are times on social media where you need to take things seriously, but in a time like this, you're making a Cinderella run to the elite eight, have fun with it. And, you know, that's what, that's what we tried to do. Without question. And I remember when they were doing it, it was in like how you guys tried to mimic that. It was like just being a fan, right? Yeah. Like you're already a small town school. Like you guys, I think, what was it? You guys were not even, uh, recognized on social media. You didn't no. have to check Mark. And then you no. guys blew up and like, what was it? Seven or eight times the followers that you guys got within that oh. two week radius or some, some astronomical like that. I can't remember yeah. the exact numbers off the top of my head, but, and then just how do you, how, how did the, how were you guys able to translate that after you getting through Indianapolis and being like, all right, now let's actually create something that nothing has ever happened and actually win another game and then actually say the final four is actually realistic because with the Florida Gulf coast and even, I can't remember the other, the 15 seed right now, but or it was, who was last year? Crap. I'm, I'm blanking. I'm doing an awful job right now, but, <laughs> but they, both of those teams also had a lead in their sweet 16 game before falling short. How did, can you just tell me what, what was going on in those moments of like, wait a minute, we just beat Purdue. I'm in the elite eight. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's funny. I just want to go back to uh, your point from before we had, because we had looked before the tournament started as kind of like, Oh, you know, we'll see how far this thing goes. We had two exactly 2,999 followers on Twitter on the men's basketball page before the start of the tournament. Uh, we're, I, I just looked right now. We're up to 37,000. Holy smokes. So that was, and Ten you know, times the amount yeah. that's, that's wicked. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's a labor of, of everybody. I mean, you know, Doug was the one that does the tweeting in game. Uh, you know, Steve Connolly does all the video stuff. You know, I, I did some, I, I did mostly Instagram stuff, but after the game, I would do Twitter uh, as well. And, you know, even guys here on campus, uh, not all of us went, it was kind of like a split squad kind of thing. The three of us were on the road. And then my other boss, Chris Aliano, one other GA, Trevor Clifton and uh, the marketing guy, uh, Andrew Sahane really were here handling all those watch parties that you probably saw mm -hmm. on, uh, on, on Twitter and everything. And, uh, you know, 
it, it, everybody bought into it. And I think that's what, that's, that's kind of the, the, the biggest thing to take away from it is that, you know, as you mentioned, we are a small school. We are a extremely small school. Uh, our campus is cut in half by a road. Uh, you have to take a bridge from one side to the other. Um, you know, there's every, I, I don't want to say that it's not glamorous here, but you know what, you, you come into St. Peter's university and, and you kind of know that you got to grind it out. Uh, and, and that's really what it was. And really to your point, it's kind of a testament to what the team was too. I mean, I'm sure you've seen the articles and everybody listening, seen the articles, you St. Peter's had no four five, three star recruits. Uh, you know, it was just, it's, it's a bunch of guys that really came in. They fit the system. Well, they fit Shaheen's system very well. And they all put their heads down and said, listen, we are going to, a lot of teams now, a lot of basketball teams now base everything off their offense. That's not what St. Peter's was. St. Peter's was always a defensive minded team and they will take that defensive intensity and try and then beat you offensively. That was always the question. There were points during the season where St. Peter's struggled to score the basketball, which uh, unfortunately happened in the elite eight game. And then they, they got bounced, but there were times where the defense was so good that it turned into offense. And that was really the calling card for this St. Peter's team. And, you know, you talk to any of the, any of the student athletes, and it's funny, I'll, I'll tell you a story. Uh, I was talking to the Drame brothers one day. Uh, it was after the Purdue game. So, you know, we were still riding the high of the Purdue game. It was the day after. So, you know, you get a day off in the NCAA tournament, uh, but it's not really a day off because you still have to go to the arena and you have to do all uh, – you have to do uh, all, all this media attention and open practice and everything like that. So we were there that day uh, and I was talking to the dramas and uh, we had just got done with the, the press conference part. And he, uh, one of them had come up and said, uh, you know, one of those reporters asked me, you know, if we were scared, why would we be scared? It's just basketball. And that was truly how everybody on this team which is crazy to me. That is truly how everybody looked at it. You know, Shaheen's famous quote, you know, what, what am I nervous for? It's just basketball. Yeah. Back but, to the Kentucky game. Exactly. Yeah. But like, that's, that's truly like what this team felt. That's not just, you know, Shaheen putting on a face for the media. That's not just the players going up and answering their questions. They truly believe that they truly believe that, you know what, at the end of the day, we're just playing a game and all the pressure is not on us. We're the Cinderella team. The, the, the pressure was always on the Kentucky, the Murray States, the, the Purdue's. We didn't have any pressure. And I think that's really worked out for them. Yeah. And with that being said, like, it wasn't like they played like a Cinderella, though. Yeah. They dictated those first three games from start mm-hmm. to finish. They made all three teams play your guys' brand of basketball. Game was slowed down, defense made it ugly. And then in that Kentucky game, Banks, Eddard caught fire, had both had 20 plus points, but, and the offense started to click a little bit. But in those other two games, it was a very defensive oriented, which was what you described as the team's mentality. So for you, do you think the emotions just ended up taking over in that Carolina game? What do you think, or do you think North Carolina just said we're take we are not going to be the next one? 
to end up being a part of this story. Right. I, I mean, you know, looking at it from UNC's side, uh, UNC changed a lot of narratives after the tournament. You know, for Hubert Davis to go in and, and make it as far as UNC did, I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. Um, I know personally a, a few people, you know, in college basketball, it's, it was more than a few people, honestly, had questions about Hubert Davis and not only his coaching style, but his effectiveness because UNC, they fell all the way to, I believe it was the eight line. I forget off the top of my head. Um, they had fallen all the way down and, you know, people were starting to question, did they leave UNC in the right hands after Roy left? And you have to remember, they were on the bubble before they really got yeah. hot towards the end of the year. They were easily predicted to actually be on the outside looking in until right. they got hot those last two weeks of the regular season that led into the tournament, too. Yeah. And I think now from a, from a UNC perspective, I think Hubert Davis has shut all those people up um, and, and I'm happy for him because uh, he's a great guy. And that, that program is, is fantastic. Um, but you know, it was getting through what the Peacocks went through. You look at the first game in Kentucky, they faced Oscar Shibwe. Shibwe still had 30 and 16. Like that is absolutely wild to me. I, you know, as a person, you have 30 and 16 and, you te- and your team still loses. You move on to the Murray State game. They had a decent amount of bigs as well. You move to the Purdue game. They had Zach Eady. You know, it, it was, I don't want to see, I don't want to say that St. Peter's eventually got worn down by bigs, but it, you're going through all of that. And then you finally get to a game where uh, you have to face Armando Baycott. I mean, he's just an animal. He is unreal. And seeing him operate in person, I mean, he's got now what? Oh, the most time, most double doubles in ACC history or, or damn near yes. close to it. I mean, he is just uh, unreal. Uh, and like I said, getting to see him work in person. Uh, and it, it, it was a lot clicking for UNC at the right time. You know, they would get the ball down low to Baycott. Caleb Love had a great tournament. Uh, Brady Manick. Had a great tournament as well. He, you know, he, when he catches fire from three, you saw that in the game against St. Peter's, you know, I, it's a shame that the, the slipper has to some fall off the foot uh, at, at some time. And, you know, the one thing that I didn't want for these guys, for the coaching staff, for the players, uh, you know, I didn't want it to be a blowout, but you know, you go, you win three games in the tournament that's certainly something to hang your hat on. Absolutely. And I want to now transition to what has happened since now. It's almost turned into like a full rebuild for you guys. Five out of your top six players have already entered the portal. Dougie Dougie Buckets has already moved on. He said he's heading towards Bryant. And then with the breaking news today, you guys have – uh, announced that you guys are going to bring in Bashir Mason from Wagner. I just wanted to get your initial reaction. I don't know how much you can actually elaborate on and give your full opinion on it being in St. Peter's athletic department, <laughs> but, but just give me, what is the sense of St. Peter's now after all of this has transpired? You know, one of the biggest things that Shaheen was asked about when the run came to an end Uh, was that, you know, what's going to happen? And he said, the one thing that I don't want to happen is I don't want this mass exodus from St. Peter's. You know, if if he did move on at the time, 
you know, he didn't want all the players uh, to follow him. Unfortunately for St. Peter's, that has not happened. Um, But from a perspective of just college basketball, I can say this. I don't blame, I don't blame anybody. You know, Shaheen moves on, gets probably, you know, a significant pay upgrade and gets to go back to his alma mater. For him, that meant the world. And I think everybody always knew, you know, that's where it would end up. In terms of the players, uh, you know, why not enter the transfer portal? Because you can always come back like Casey Nadefo did this year. Mm-hmm. Casey was in the transfer portal up until <laughs> it was almost like September. And then all of a sudden, my boss walks in the office one day and he's like, oh, guess who's back? Mm-hmm. And Casey was down shooting in the gym. So, you know, for these guys uh, and college basketball in 2022 and on, you know, I don't blame anybody for wanting to get themselves into a better position. These guys came into St. Peter's and dreamed of a moment like this. Now they finally have it. Why not try and see if you could take advantage of it? Without question. And just to piggyback off of the Shaheen hiring, as we're both Seton Hall alums, so like, for you, it's not like the end of the world as we're going from one school to the other school. <laughs> yeah. But um, so I was actually there last week for the presser. Nice. So and one thing that really just like it was magical. I don't know if you were there, but the whole team showed up. Right. And yes, did, yeah. he took he took the initiative to actually say, I am not here because of myself. I am here because of what has transpired in these last couple of weeks from these 15 young men. And I think that was just a true class act by what has transpired. And it kind of brought everything full circle because they really showcased how much of a family your guys's team really was. And they had that final break at Seton hall Seton hall gave them the standing ovation that they rightfully deserved. But it, it was just a surreal atmosphere, in my opinion, just being there to, mm-hmm. and was able to understand of what, what really happened, getting a closer look of what I didn't get to see like on TV. So oh, I, of, of course. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, sidebar, I was not there because I was too busy working on Shaheen's goodbye video. <laughs> so course. I didn't get to go. <laughs> um, but I did watch the stream I, and, and I did see that. And, and really that got a lot of national attention because you see um, you see coaches leave one school and go to another school and have press conferences. You never see that. I mean, granted, yeah, Jersey City to South Orange is maybe about a half hour. But you know what? They didn't have to go. They could have said, you know what? Shaheen's moving on. Some of us are going to move on. The run was great. But at the end of the day, all good things come to an end. But they didn't. Instead, all the players, all the coaches, they were all there. And it's also a testament to the type of person that Shaheen is as well. Um, You know, to take that time out and say, you know, I'm not here if it's not for these guys. Which, by the way, that's another conversation because you could just tell Shaheen is a tremendous coach. So he could have made it work no matter what. So that's him being a little bit humble. Uh, So I'll sit here and give him his due. Um, But, you know, and for him not only once, but twice to stop the crowd and say, you know, I know we can do better than that because that's what these kids deserve. Um, And I'm, I'm happy that they got that moment because they deserved that moment. Um, And I was happy that Shaheen was able to give it to him. 
Absolutely. But now let's talk about the new hiring. I know it's been only a couple hours, but I know we talked about it before we actually really came on. Uh, I like the hiring. I think it's a smart decision. I know that, I can't remember his name already. Bashir Mason. <laughs> Had to look it up real quick. I knew it was Bashir. I totally forgot the last name. But for Mason, it he's had the success at Wagner, especially in the last three to five years, just being absolutely dominant in the, in the NEC. Mm-hmm. But they haven't fully gotten the job done to get them into the NCAA tournament. Just give me your initial reaction. I like the hiring. He's a Jersey City native. It's going to be because you know he's going to be able to recruit and talk about the Jersey Jersey, that Jersey and New York identity that Shaheen really brought and really can pick up off of what Shaheen was preaching. Yeah, no doubt. And I, and I think that's really what it comes down to, right? You know, uh, when, when you're at a school like this, I think it always comes down to either you're going to promote from within or you're going to get somebody who is well-respected around the area and can recruit well around the area from maybe a, a lower division or, Uh, you know, maybe even a lateral move and you can debate, you know, coming from the NEC to the Mac, whether that's a lateral move or a step up, you could debate that until you're blue in the face, but really for Bashir Mason, he took the, a lot of people, he took the Wagner job when he was like 28 years old, extremely young. And he stepped into that and he stepped into a program that needed some help. And by the time those 10 years was up, he got them, you know, I'm not going to say he he got them to the pinnacle uh, because unfortunately, you know, for him and his his teams, he was not able to win any NEC conference championships uh, to get to the postseason. Um, but as you mentioned, in these past few years, he's done a tremendous job of not only recruiting, but keeping guys in the program. And I think that's what's going to be huge here as he comes over uh, to St. Peter's. And really uh, just for him, like you mentioned, it's a homecoming back to Jersey City. And I think that meant a lot to him. Um, you know, similar to the way Shaheen goes to Seton Hall and it's a homecoming there for him to come to Jersey City and try and keep some semblance of a nucleus together while contending in the Mac for the years to come, I think is going to be something interesting to watch. Absolutely. So now I'm going to throw you on the spot. Sure. Give me a realistic expectation with all of these guys in the portal, new head coach. What is, what is a success in your eyes for the Peacocks this upcoming year? You know, as, as you sit here right now, it's a tough question uh, because there are so many uncertainties. Uh, You've just filled one with your head coaching vacancy, uh, which I think is, is a good hire. Um, there are guys now in the transfer portal and you know, the, the beauty of the transfer portal, as I mentioned before, is that if you don't find a new home, you could always come back. So you'll see how that plays out. Um, As of right now, there are two very talented freshmen on this team that haven't, you know, made up their mind yet in Juju Murray and Clarence Rupert. Uh, Clarence Rupert made such an impact that he was starting down the, uh, down the end of the year and into the NCAA tournament. And Juju is that really shifty point guard um, that, you know, I believed for a majority of this year could really start uh, as a true freshman for this Peacocks team. He's just, he's shifty. He has handles. Um, 
has a you different know, change of pace that Matthew Lee didn't have. Yes. And he's, and he's got that, uh, he's got that in the bag. So for, as of right now, you know, those two guys are still in the program. So, you know, when I talk about keeping that nucleus together, you know, maybe that is some guys coming back uh, that don't find other homes in the transfer portal. Uh, but, you know, it's keeping the Juju Murrays and, and the Clarence Rupert that really, you know, if that does stay intact, I, I you know, I don't think there's going to be that much fall off for St. Peter's in terms of like conference play and like normal play into maybe a conference tournament. And who knows, you know, uh, as you get into Atlantic city next year for the Mac tournament, who knows? We'll see what happens. Iona is always going to be there at the top with Rick Patino and, you know, he can recruit very well. Um, but it, it's going to be, I'm not going to sit here and say there's not going to be a drop-off. Um, and if there isn't a drop-off, I think it's going to be a testament to a lot of people that uh, either are going to come in like the Bashir Masons or the, or the people that decide to stick it out. Without question. And as a peacock, you got to let him fly, as Mark Wahlberg yes. so eloquently says. Yes. But uh, you're also a major college basketball savant. You're one of the few people that I go to when talking college ball. Ah, thank and Because, <laughs> hey, you got to put credit when credit is due. You've had the pleasure of being – when we did our March Madness breakdown last year, that was something crazy that we did. And that, was... that is true. <laughs> that is true. But – um. I want to get your overall take of the tournament as well as the final four. I got all of my picks wrong that I picked last week. I had Duke weighing it all. I thought it was destiny for coach K and of course, North Carolina stood in the way. And then a Kansas team that really just found different ways to win. They beat Villanova ugly. And then they make the most, they make the historic comeback against North Carolina when many thought they were dead in the water about th- what midway through the first half that I, I personally thought I was ready to turn it off. Same. So was I, I was ready, <laughs> up 20. I thought, it, wow, they're going to show nothing came back. Won the one, won the title. Just give me your overall perspective and what you have seen in this NCAA tournament. I mean, it was, uh, in my opinion, one of the more memorable ones we've had uh, in, in quite some time. And that's not even saying that much because every time we get to March, there's always something that happens. Um, but this March specifically, um, as we kind of got through, of course, St. Peter's making a, a, a tremendous run, but then you get down to that final four and you have you, the UNC Duke matchup, which as you said, I kind of felt like destiny, um, which is crazy that then destiny let UNC win that game. Um, but then you look at the other side of the bracket with Kansas and Villanova, you know, Villanova losing Justin Moore was huge. It was huge in that game. And you could tell because Caleb Daniels had a tremendous game being thrust into the starting lineup, but it's just not the same. Like and if looked, Caleb and, Daniels and gives you that as the sixth man off the bench, then you're saying to yourself, the Villanova might win that game. Yeah, and they made they made they made Gillespie as uncomfortable I've ever seen a team make him look. Right, and I and think that was I, that was because no, of that's more. No small feet. <laughs> yeah, and that is I think a lot of that had to do because you they, he didn't have his partner in crime with more on the court. Yeah, and then you look at Kansas, and uh, you look at Kansas, and and honestly, they were they were one of the most fundamentally sound teams heading into the tournament. I look at Kansas. I looked at Villanova that way before the Justin Moore injury. Um, there were a few other Gonzaga. I looked at, 
that way, but I told you before the show started that I'm done with them. I'm not picking them anymore. Forget it. Done. Brackets busted every year. I'm tired of Gonzaga losing. I think Mark Few is a good coach, but for some reason, they get to March and they cannot put it together. That's because they they play the tough non-conference schedule. Then they play 20 layups. Right. And they win probably 19 of the 20. St. Mary's usually gets them once. Maybe, yep. BYU, maybe BYU gives them a game. But other than that, once they get into the tournament, they haven't played those games that you really need to see. I, that's why I think that's part of the problem. Yeah. I mean, you have a you have a team with that much talent and, uh, you know, you get bounced as early as Gonzaga did. You know, it, it it's a tough look for them. Um, but, you know, hopefully they prove me wrong because, you know, now I'll start not picking them and then they'll go out and they'll win the championship next year. So of clip course. this if they do. Um, cause you know, then I'll be, I'll get my magic eight ball out or whatever. <laughs> um, but you know, back to that Kansas Villanova stuff, it, those were one of the, the teams like going into this tournament that I actually like truly believed in. Uh, I thought Baylor had some holes, uh, and you saw that in their loss, but you take a look at Kansas perimeter shooting down low. They had everything covered from, from Abaji to McCormick to Brown, uh, they, they covered all their bases and you could see how complete of a team they are, because as you mentioned, you take a look at a team like that, you go in down into, into half down to like 20 points. A lot of those teams, a lot of other teams in the country would be like, you know what guys, it was a great one, a great run. We made it to the championship game, but you know, down 20 points is difficult. That's not what they did. They came out and they just stifled UNC. Um, and that's a testament to um, not only the players, but I think from a Kansas perspective as well, I think Bill Self has been one of the more underrated and underappreciated coaches. Uh, when you talk about head coaches, I don't necessarily know if he's one of the first ones that comes to your mind, um, but now I think he will be uh, after getting Kansas to the promised land. Yeah, and I think the one thing that, people have come into question with self. I don't think they had the issue of him being a great coach. I think it was more of, of Kansas underachieving when it got to the tournament. Yeah. Cause they hadn't won. They hadn't won since 2008. Yeah. You started and they would, they were always the team to beat out of the big 12 until Baylor had finally shown some, shown some rigor these last couple of years. And they were always on the one or two line and they couldn't get even to like that elite, eight area which was kind of showing the red flag of like is this really gonna work how much longer does self really have and want to be at kansas the recruiting was not as great as it had been in recent years but i think remy martin from arizona state was the true catalyst of everything He, he got came in got hurt and then came in off the bench and was that spark plug that the team really was looking for down the stretch but i it's a true testament to him i think you're you're 100 right he's gonna he's gonna finally get the true credit that he deserves yeah and then for me like i went over four all four teams of my teams <laughs> didn't even make it to the final four i had i had ucla cutting down the nets north carolina yeah. spoiled that party i actually had north baylor was the only team i had right out of the one seats yeah. i had baylor losing to carolina because i thought Again, with uh, I can't think of it, Chuchetua. I can't even say his name. Uh, yeah, Chamachachua. Yeah, yeah, not playing that you were gonna finally see bit you're gonna see Baycott be a beast, and he was yeah. so 
but yeah, I had Auburn. Auburn lost in the second round. Uh, let's see, Tennessee, they lost in the second round. Gonzaga lost in the Sweet 16. UCLA lost in the Sweet 16. Yeah, I couldn't even get a team into the Elite Eight. So yeah, I was UCLA. UCLA was one of those teams too that I thought was was fundamentally sound in that area. With and Duzan. they were a team that were just they could you could tell that they were not interested until yes. the tournament really started. Yeah. Then they got they. Barely got through the first game. They looked great in their second round game. And then like that North Carolina game was one to watch. You could going back and forth. It was the true game of like two blue bloods, actually what you would want to see. Right. And then I was like, of course they come up short. So, but it is what it is, but I think, yeah, but I think this final four was unique that it had four blue bloods and the coach K stat, I, I know you've probably seen this, but North Carolina, what North Carolina was his first loss ever, his yeah. final regular season loss ever, and his last loss ever. Yeah. It's like this how how crazy is that to kind of like just behold that North Carolina is the reason of <laughs> you know, every- I, and you want to talk about things coming full circle. That's one of those things. I mean for for him to have all those battles with UNC throughout the years with Roy Williams uh, and then for it to, you know, Roy retired before him, which, you know, it was always going to be down to the wire who was going to go first. And Roy decided to retire first. And then, you know, again, I think it goes back to uh, it's a huge testament to who Hubert Davis is and what he's been able to continue doing uh, at UNC now uh, and send Coach K off into the sunset. Absolutely. And I think about one thing about Davis, like he was a great analyst at ESPN until, and then like <laughs> they brought him back to North Carolina. And I was like, yeah. what is he doing? Like he's doing so he doesn't have to like do anything. Like all he has to do is yeah. just talk basketball, but obviously they had a true plan laid out at North Carolina and yeah. something crazy, something awesome. But I think that was a true Testament of how the NC college basketball scene has really transpired and unfolded and rich i want to actually thank you so much for coming on today talk some college hoops talk a lot of peacocks but before i let you go i want to as a seton hall fan i want to i want to because i had heard some under underlying things that the willard leaving was kind of in the works for a little while before Mm. which kind of transpired that before even the Big East tournament started, and then you could totally see the team was not playing for him really in that in that sm- debacle that happened in San Diego yeah. against TCU. What do you what do you think of Willard moving on to Maryland, and then your final thoughts on the Shaheen hiring before I let you go? You know, I go back to even before uh, before this year, before the end of this year, before a few years uh, when he was the finalist for the Virginia Tech job. And I go back to that and I say, okay, he turned that down because at the time it, it really didn't make any sense. It didn't make any sense for him to take that Virginia Tech job. That's not what happened this time. You get, he turned down Florida to take the yeah, Maryland job. Right. You get to you get to now and you say, okay, um, you take a look at it's funny. Every seat, you, you, you see it on Twitter all the time, but it, it's like painfully true. 
up until this point, every Seton Hall season is the same arc. It's the same story. It's just got different characters and it's got different players, but it's the same story told five times in a row. They come out of the gate really hot, get a few great wins to start the season. They have a terrible January. And then they level out in February. You get into March and it's a mixed bag. It's every time. It's every year under Kevin Willard. It's the same thing that happens every time. So you started to get to that January this year. And you're saying to yourself, you're like, what the heck is going on? This team is not this bad. It's not this bad on paper. You're watching the team and they're not this bad. They're just, they're not either getting the right bounces or they're not getting the good luck or something's going on. They weren't so competitive you, though, really either. Yeah. There, there were, oh, believe me, there were points. <laughs> there were points where they, you were watching games and you were like, okay, yeah, you can kind of squeak this game out a little bit. I forget what it was. It was either the, it was the Butler game or the Marquette game. Like there was, there was one game where I was like, okay, they probably should have won that one. And then they lost. But then the other ones were like, all right, what are we doing? Like, there's no offensive flow. There's no, the ball is stagnant. It's not moving. Aiken came out of the lineup and the ball got cement on it. You couldn't get it out. Roden's trying to take contested mid ranges. And you're just like, okay, you know, you can't get the ball down low to Ike. You can't do anything at the rim. And then you move on to February and you're like, okay, you reached the even out period. There were some good games, some bad games, and you get to March. Then you get to the Big East tournament and you're like, all right, eh, the game against uh, the first, who'd they play the first? I can't, I'm drawing a complete play. Was it, play did we play? First game. Was it Georgetown? Georgetown. And they we played George played Georgetown and we squeaked by. Yeah. And you squeaked we by had, Georgetown. We had no business of winning that game. They outplayed right. us from for all 40 minutes, but we yeah. made a couple plays at the end. Right. And you know, you squeak by Georgetown and you're like, okay, what in the world is gonna happen against UConn tomorrow night? I am scared because yet again, they're playing in the nine o'clock game because you can't get out of it if you're Seton Hall. They're married to the nine o'clock game at Madison Square Garden. So you get to that game and it was, again, one of those situations where the offense struggled and you couldn't really, the ball was sticking. You couldn't move it. All right. Then you get to the tournament. I don't even know what I watched for 40 minutes of basketball. I, I, so I couldn't bad. even tell you. I couldn't so tell you bad. what I watched. I was in a bar in, by that time, we were still, we were in, in, in Indianapolis that time. I was like, all right, great. I'm going to go to a bar. I'm going to bring the whole Everybody from St. Peter's, we're going to sit down. We're going to have a great time. We're going to watch the game. I was depressed 10 minutes into the game. I get my first beer. I start drinking my first beer. They're already down 10. I get my second beer and down 20. I'm like, what is going on? And again, it, there were so many things. There were so many things you could point to in that game. But like you, you saw, you, you might have, like the writing on the wall was starting to form. And then after that TCU game, uh, like you knew it was happening, you knew it was done. And the thing that the thing that got me was the post game was the post game press conference. The whole yeah. now I'm gonna go talk to my agent and see what's going on. I haven't talked to him yet, folks. You knew it. You knew I it hate was... to be that guy. That's not true. Okay, that's just plain and simple. Not that true. You don't you don't talk to not talk to your agent and then the first day you lose. Oh, I'm on a plane to Maryland two days later. Yeah, come on. 
So, you yeah. know, and then, okay, Willard leaves. He goes to Maryland, which, you know what? I don't like gonna... that for him. He is going to be in a full rebuild in yeah. the hardest conference in basketball. Right. No, it, it's, it's going to be I thought if he him. goes to Florida, yeah, you still have a couple pieces. Yeah. You don't really have to recruit because mm-hmm. it's Florida. They're going to come out and play because you're – what is it? It's Miami and it's Florida state. <laughs> and like you're, you should win that recruit recruitment nine yeah. times out of 10. Yeah. Which was sure. why I was surprised he took, t- he turned that down because they offer him supposedly close to five. Yeah. You know, I, I think from a, from a Kevin Willard perspective, um, he's always kind of prided himself in these last 10 or so years as being that, you know, East coast basketball guy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where he wanted to stick. And I I think the fit at Maryland is good. It's just, as you said, he's got to be prepared to lose and he's got to be prepared to grind it out for those first few years, because it's similar to when he took over Seton hall, but it's not nearly as bad when he took over Seton hall. It was, it was an undesirable job and it was, it was poor. Yes. Um, he's in a better situation now with Maryland. Um, but again, uh, as it's started to come down to in the, in the, in the past few years with Kevin Willard, it's going to be one, is he going to be able to recruit? And number two, is he going to be able to surround himself with the coaching staff, which I believe he's done. So I will give him credit for that. Is he going to be able to surround himself with a coaching staff that is going to be able to reach all of the players. And I think he's got that step out of the way. He brings back Tony skin yep. um, who, you know, it was a shame when he left Seton hall as a Seton hall fan. Uh, you saw his presence, not only as a coach, but as a recruiter, yes. uh, I, I'll almost, I'll, I'll he can, argue he, that he, his, he can recruit. Yeah. He can recruit. I'll, I'll, I'll argue that his bigger, uh, his bigger job is going to be recruiting over coaching. And then you bring over Grant Billmeyer as well. So I, I believe he's surrounded himself now with the right tools. Now it's going to be uh, if he can and how quickly the turnaround for Maryland basketball is going to be. Absolutely. And then Shaheen, it's slam dunk. I think it's a slam dunk. You can't, I mean, do, you can't do anything wrong, right? And listen, one thing that he was great at Seton Hall mm-hmm. is that he can recruit the yeah. living daylight out of our area. Yeah. And I think that goes back to him, of course, playing and playing in the area growing up. Um, you know, he's, he's a New York city kid. You know, he doesn't shy away from that. He's a New York city kid that played basketball in New Jersey. As he said, you know, I got guys from New York and New Jersey. We're not scared of anything. Uh, so he's going to bring that same mentality to Seton hall, because if there's one thing, that I could tell you about she, uh, Shaheen Holloway is that I don't know if I can curse, but uh, go ahead, let it out. He, he ain't no bullshitter. Okay. Oh he, no. He tells you, the, he the, tells how, you exactly how, it how it is. He tells you how it is. So when he stands up on that stage and tells you that this is too important for him to mess up because it means that much to him. I believe that hundred percent without question. And I, I think he's going to have, I think he's actually going to find out that we're actually in a little bit more of a 
rebuild phase than he actually thinks instead of a win now mentality. I think we are going to potentially struggle this mm-hmm. upcoming season. I will say though, keeping his ability to keep Tyree Samuel is huge. That is huge. huge. Right huge. off the bat. It's right off the bat. I think it'll be interesting. Maybe steal over a couple peacocks from the portal. Just kidding. <laughs> Who knows? Who Maybe. Knows? But Rich, I want to thank you so much for joining me today on the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. It's always a pleasure. Hope you are doing well and stay well with Peacock Nation, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And uh, you know me, I'm always uh, always available to come on and talk with you. So I'm happy uh, happy I could do that today. Oh, always a pleasure to have you on. We'll definitely have you on again soon. Everybody, look out for more content. We have some potential interviews in the works. I can actually officially make this announcement. Dean Blandino from Fox Sports officiating. He came on last year. He will be coming on. Hopefully, either in the coming weeks, he has accepted to come on the show. We are actually also in the works with a couple of other people that I am not allowed to release yet. Oh, <laughs> but um, secrecy had to keep a secrecy because their agents will kill me. But yeah. <laughs> but stay tuned. Also, I'm going to have a little bit of a master's video coming out some point this week with Scotty Scheffler's absolutely dominant performance at Augusta National and the return of the goat tiger woods actually showing up and showing out and he has already confirmed he will be at st andrews so enjoy your week everybody thanks for tuning into the final whistle sports podcast